Hi and welcome back to It's Not Rocket Science, five questions over coffee. I am delighted and I have I have got my coffee here with me today, so it's here ready to go. I'm delighted today to be joined by Mike Lawrence. Mike is a, a really interesting transformational coach. Uh, he started his uh his his a career in leisure and hospitality, and I'm sure he might get into that, uh, where he was a uh Botlin's uh uh Butlin's Red Coat, helping holidaymakers through positive engagement and mindfulness. Um, he's now a, a, a mentoring and um, a coach for a number of large organisations. He reduces absenteeism, um, he improves employee morale, and he improves company internal culture. And Mike is in great demand in the corporate world. And he has uh, got some clients who have described him as truly transformational. So I think we're going to have a really fascinating discussion today. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Yeah, good, um, good day, Stuart. It's great to be here at last. It's been a while. It has. It's been a take, it's taken us a while to get this set up. And, and thanks for taking the time to do this, because I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Uh, Mike, can you just start by giving us sort of an insight into the sort of person that you help, the sort of uh, the, the sort of uh, internal and, and, and external behaviours, etc., that you might be seeing in your clients that they, are, that, that, that they wish to change and, and bring about a better well-being attitude? Yes, I'd, I'd be happy to do so, Stuart. Um, obviously, it's, it's changed because I think prior to sort of COVID and, and the lockdown, uh, a lot of the clients, the people that were seen on a private um, basis in my clinic in Sheffield, tended to be women in the 40s, like business owners, because you tend to find that the women, generally speaking, had a well-being regime, and so they were more looking after their um, actual well-being and mental health this has changed somewhat and now this is sort of balanced out and seen um a lot of men which is which is good who are now starting to come forward and have that conversation talk about the challenging problems that they face with their sort of well-being and so prior to you know to curve and look down it was you know the general sort of stress depression sort of anxiety uh also burnout as i say was on the increase Whereas now it seems to be around um, financial well-being, that lack of uncertainty about the future with the rising cost of living. And so people yeah. trying to figure them out how we can navigate through these sort of challenges because, um, you know, in the media and the governments, we're talking about a lot of the problems which are going on. And yes, occasionally we have a mental health awareness, but really... We don't seem to be doing saying much about how people need to look after themselves in these challenging times. So what are the um, uh, behaviours, the things that you've seen people with those uh, thoughts try to do to help themselves before you get involved with your with your uh, your your services? The you know, you've got the. Um, negative behaviors and the positive behaviors, negative behaviors and some people might think the positive is, is the coping strategies. So hybrid working brought in people eating more, um, from home and, and generally speaking, um, uh, eating, um, in eat, eating to excess as a way of trying to cope because uh, working from a home and hybrid working too far away from your kitchen. And so it's, it's readily available. Uh, people are drinking more. 
um, as well at home because again it was it was readily available. Also, working more one way of filling that gap in terms of the challenges and problems that they're facing, and felt as though that we needed to you know to sort of work, you know work more to fill in those gaps. And so we're finding that um, working with people who are um, suffering with um, burnout a lot of, in in lots of situations. They're not looking after themselves, and the, and typically the sort of things which I'm hearing a lot of the time, the things such as, you know, I'm feeling overworked, I'm feeling stressed a lot, I'm feeling depressed, I can't get to see my doctor, or if I, if I do get through to see the doctor, um, I just feel as though that I'm not listening because I've just got a short, um, I've just got a short. Um, what do you call it, um, time with the doctor. Um, yeah. And in most of the cases, they're prescribing uh, medication, which is obviously the right thing to do. But what they're wanting to see is to see somebody that was going to help them with CBT or counselling, and depending on where you live and and, the, and where you are in the country, will determine, depend upon what um, level of support that you might get. So... Mike, you've described some really interesting things there. Those are all things which, um, which I guess you, you provide, uh, do you provide them on site in your own clinic? Do you go to workplaces? How do you, how do you offer those services? Yeah, well, there's, there's twofold. I've got a clinic in Sheffield. Also, people see me remotely as well, which is one of the advantages and benefits, I suppose, is the, the remote working. And so I'm able to offer a range of support services to people throughout the UK and also the clients, you know, throughout the world as well. And then I also get involved with um, organisations who provide employee assistance programmes and and some people who might be fortunate if you're working for a large organisation, you might be able to get some support through your EAP. What I find is that a lot of people who have have got these schemes in the workplace which are free they're not using them so if anybody is watching this program you have got uh, and you're in a company that provides an EAP it's really important that you do you know do so that said I go into companies and tend to be smaller organizations and um where they haven't got an employee assistance program, and I will come in there and I will deliver talks and uh, have one-to-ones with members of staff um, who may not feel confident speaking to some of their mental health problems to their to somebody within HR. And in some cases, you've got people who've been trained as mental health first aiders um, and a mental um, mental health first aid instructor, and so I deliver that training on site and also in the workplace. Um, but time and time again, you find that people who are mental health first aid trainers, again, people within those organisations, there might be some stigma associated to um, going to the mental health first aid to talk about, you know, there's some of the problems that they actually face. So I, I offer a range of um, workshops and they range from menopause, which has been on the increase, which has been asked for quite a lot, mental health awareness stress, depression, anxiety, nutrition and financial well-being because now that organisations recognise that they have got a duty of care and as part of that corporate social responsibility they are doing more and need to be seen to do more for their employers.
Agreed. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Mike, I, I understand you've got a, a, a pretty valuable free resource that people, even if they're not part of a large organisation or a small business, even if they work on their own, that they can take in order to be able to do something. And I've just put the link to that scrolling along the bottom of the screen now. That's at your website, and the link is Rediscover Your Confidence, the antidote to good mental health. Do you uh, do you just want to describe to us what that, that resource uh, brings to the table? Yes, I can. Um, it's, it's, it's a resource which is available to, you know, to everybody. It's a training program which I created and developed um, online about a year ago. And this was after some research that I did with clients um, and also put some, you know, a, you know, a, a magic one question on LinkedIn um, midway through through the pandemic when I asked, you know, if I could offer you something, if I help you with something in particular, which would move you forward in terms of mental health and well-being, what would it be? And so based upon the feedback from you know, existing clients, previous clients, and also friends and family in the poll that I ran on LinkedIn, I created this support program for people around the UK and also around the world who were able to step onto this um, series of um, webinars and workshops, which I deliver um, via video and also on a one-to-one workshop basis where we'll be tackling and dealing with um, some of the challenges which they might have faced a long time ago in terms of their health and well-being. Because a lot of times the things in which we face now, the problems that we have, um, sometimes it might be um, through the loss of somebody or it could be something that we saw um, you know, uh, in, our, in our early years, in our childhood. And subconsciously, we've repressed those memories and thoughts, and this then impacts us in later life. So I help um, people who come onto the course to identify or help them to identify some of the root causes of their problems and give them sort of coping strategies, health and support, so that they're able to hopefully lead a better quality of life. Mm, great, great, great use of LinkedIn. Uh, get that, get that feedback on what people actually need from uh, from you. Uh, what a great use, Mike. I guess there must be a number of books or courses, programs that you've taken part in yourself, which have really inspired you that you have used as a uh, as, as a way to build up your own education. Is there is there something like that that you'd like to share with the audience today in order to give them a, a flavour of things that you've been learning or things that you've uh, you've discovered that you'd like to sort of bring into the uh, bring to the audience? Yes, there's, there's there's a couple that come to mind, and it's always books. I'm always reading books, always learning. I love the there's um, a book. It's also a series by a gentleman called David Eagleman. He's also been featured on BBC. You can see um, he's got some on YouTube. There's some videos that he's got, and also lots of um, I think some BBC iPlayer as well. And he talks about the brain and um, goes very deep into the brain and um, gets thinking about, um, you know, what, what's in there and how, it, and how it works, the mechanics of it all. And there's lots of aha moments. Staying with the brain, um, m- many people may have heard of Darren Brown. Mm-hmm. And there's some great two, two podcasts that I've listened to recently. One's called Boot Camp of the Mind, uh, which is excellent. 
and um, and there was one this boot camp of your life, um, which is really good as well. And again, he delves into the brain, talks about some of the blind spots that we have, and um, and how we think, and how certain things that um, can uh, influence our sort of beliefs as well. And the final one I'll share with you is one called Lost. Fo- what's it called? Is it Lost Focus? I think I might have. I think it's called Lost. I think it might be Lost Lost Focus, and um, it's written by a gentleman called Johann Hari, H A R I. And this is for me. It, it's dynamite um, because when you read this, um, when you read this book, or I or I did, I listened to it on on Audible when I'm going walking. I guess you're thinking about how we use our time and where that time got where's where where does the time go because we say it all the time don't we? you know um in, you know if if you love what you do and i love what i enjoy and doing throughout the day and at the end of the day it's like wow you know where's that time gone but we can use that time more effectively and when you break it down and the amount of time is actually lost or as he would say taken away then you calculate that time and says, well, what would I have done with that time if I controlled it, more, you know, uh, a lot better? And typically, you know, everyone's got a mobile phone and the amount of times, and there's lots of studies and research, and he talks about it as well, the amount of time is, which uh, is lost on looking at those notifications that keep coming up on a day-to-day basis and also emails and you know yourself Stuart you're nodding your head and and emails and we're doing this um podcast sort of like remotely and I've got notifications switched off I've got emails you know I've got everything um switched off and in actual fact I've had them switched off for about four years and the amount of time the amount of control that I have now is just it's incredible and, you know, a lot of times when people ask me, you know, I'm being interviewed and you might ask me uh, anyway and in the future and says, well, you know, what tip would you give people, you know, in terms of the well-being, turn the notifications off. Oh, I love that, Mike. And I, yes, you're right. I'm nodding because I, I too am a I do not have notifications on my phone. I get and, and you know, there are reasons for it. And, you know, um, and we're going into uh, what, what you said about Johan Hari, and I believe he was the guy that invented this thing called the Yohari window, which I've heard a lot about, which is you don't know things about yourself. You've got to look at yourself in a different way in order to see it. But I'm very aware of the fact that notifications are one of those things which activate some very deep old thinking in our brain, you know, what they call the lizard brain, which is, you know, the crack of a stick in the in the woods used to be a sign for us to sort of get ready to run away. Nowadays, it's a thing on a phone and it activates all that same same system in our body so that our, our adrenaline is hyped up and we sort of get we, get we get ready to either run away or fight. And what you don't need when you're sitting watching the television uh, and trying to relax from the day and decompress is bings from your phone or when you're focused at work, you don't want a bing from your phone or a thing popping up in the corner of your screen. So I'm like you, I, I now have a system where I... I, I I have my email set as a calendar invite for myself and I go and view my emails up three times a day. And that's the only time I read email because otherwise I'm focused on work. And and when I want to actually sort of go onto social media, I, I use a, a technique. You've probably heard of it called the Pomodoro technique. 
yep. I work yep. for focus time and then I give myself permission for a five minute break. And if I want to check Twitter, that's the time I check it. Or if I want to check LinkedIn, that's the time I check it. And I really don't do anything other than that. So I don't have notifications like you. And it has freed up hours of my week. It really has. It works a treat because you're probably well aware that uh, in those those studies, that it highlights that when you, if you've got the emails on, if you're working away and because, you know, they talk about multitasking and we all say that we are great multitaskers and it breaks that myth by saying, no, the brain doesn't work that way. You can only do one thing at a time. And those people who think they're great multitaskers, they take longer to do those particular tasks. <laughs> and also when you've got the, if you're writing a document or a report, and that email pings up and it pricks your conscience because it activates that part in your brain. It's like, ah, oh, I need to go to that. So you start to write to that. And then you, you, it then takes you about 20 minutes then to go back to that document, to that, that, that part of your mind you was accessing to get all those nuggets of information when you're in your flow, you know, to write that piece of work. It takes you 20 minutes to get back to that place again. Just just brilliant. Love it, Mike. Love it. We could talk about those techniques for about another two and a half hours, but I won't uh, because uh, you need to get on and do something else and you need to focus again on your work. So uh, let's just get to the final question. Uh, Mike, there is probably a question that you're thinking at the moment. I wish he had asked me uh, whatever that question is. So, Mike, would you please tell us what is the question you would like me to ask you? And then once you've asked the question, effectively answer it for us so that you don't leave us hanging with the, with, a, with an interesting question, but no, no real fulfillment of the answer. It's probably, you probably mentioned it in the intro about being a red cat. <laughs> Good tell us. <laughs> what did you it's learn nice. being somebody who helped holidaymakers uh, through their, what they hoped would be a stress-free time? How did you help them? I think it, it was two. They it helped. I helped them in you know enjoy and have a good time and have fun. And when you look all those years ago at you know, at a very young age, the ability to be able to, to to work and enjoy what you do and have fun and also and also impact um, positively. In, in, in people's lives and in, in their own sort of health and well-being. And that was from the young generation all the way through, you know, to the, you know, to, um, um, you know, the older generation. So all those generations. And when it helped me with my, my confidence, just prior to going there, I was probably an introvert and brought up in, um, an old steel town of Sheffield. And uh, going to college and what have you around that way, and, and just going and being flung into this space of over five thousand people, who and um, who were there and spent a lot of money in those days and came there with their family, expecting to be entertained and expecting to be taken care of, um, you know, by these people, you know, these girls and boys um, in these red coats. And so it's something that, um, you know, to live up to. And, and the wonderful thing about it is that 
initially when I came out of working there, I worked into, I went into working in London in the leisure and recreation industry. One, for whatever reason, I don't know why, I wanted to be a manager and be in charge of people. And I found it very difficult in the first few years to, to adapt because I'd gone from somewhere where I was enjoying myself, I was having fun, and lots of people were, were um, it was all positive engagement. There was no talk of mental health or well-being back then because everyone was just having a good time. Then we're going into the civil service um, in local authority in London. It was totally different. And it took me a few years to actually um, adopt. And also, Stuart, um, as I as I tried to move through my career in management, I, did, I actually had to take off um, the fact that I was a red coat on my on my CV. I was finding that I was getting overlooked and people felt as though that I wasn't saying management managerial material and that I didn't take the role seriously. And so I actually took that part out of it and just said that I worked in the leisure industry um, on the South Coast and left it at that. It wasn't until many years later that I set up my own consultancy company and I was being interviewed on Radio Sheffield by a... Um, by being interviewed on Radio Sheffield, and like yourself, he asked me the question, um, but he asked it in a different way. He actually said to me, "What transferable skills did you did you um, learn as a red coat that you use in your business today?" And that was like, ah. And there's lots because yes, I've got lot you know qualifications, a mental health first aid instructor. And um, gone on lots of courses since then, managerial courses and things around complementary alternative therapies. But those skills that I learned back then, being able to communicate to people, to talk to people, understand people, have conversations with people, you know, not on text or email, but communicate and listen because that and inter- interact with people and understand how they talk and how they feel and pick up all those things you don't realize that you what you learned there which then takes took me all the way through there and and it's one of the key attributes that i possess when i'm working you know with people you know with people now because one of the key things you know because sorry, i was just going to go on to say and finish in that in my you know in some of the studies that i've done recently I've, um, I was surprised in one way that, you know, when we go to school, you know, they teach us how to talk, how to read and write. But the amount of time in which actually is um, is put aside and how to listen is very little. Mike, that's a really interesting thing. To, I, I, sorry I interrupted you. I was merely going to say okay. that that's okay. it's, it's, it's interesting that you had to take away an element of your uh, first part of your learning in your career, I, I similarly had to remove my, my 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 scientific background when I first started out as a manager because people would often ask, "What's somebody like you wanting to do a job like this?" So you just take it away, don't you? But but I think that final point about learning to listen was uh, probably the most the most interesting one that I think you, you you've hit upon. If we could just learn to listen at a young age, and, you know, you're right. 
at school, we are not taught what we need when we get out into the real world, are we? We're not taught about that teamwork. We're not talking about that ability to communicate. We're we're largely sort of sat in silence listening to somebody who, who feeds facts. We're not taught nearly enough how to listen to each other. And it's something we learn far too late in life. And unfortunately, when we've learned it, we have ingrained behaviours which we have to undo in order to be able to learn it properly. Absolutely, because the you know we've all got our frame. We want to be, you know, the social media. It's all about look at me, look at me, like, 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 um, and 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 in reality, it some in a lot of cases projects a false image of actually who we are. Uh, but being able, in terms of a a, a mental health and well being, because um, you know. Um, a lot of the times when I meet people or see people and you might say the same as well. And the first thing that we say being, you know, English and British, we talk, you know, we say, how are you? Mm. And we always say, I'm fine. I'm well, I'm okay. But are we? Because a lot of times we, 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 we're not. And we hope that, you know, um, we hope that people will respond. I'm fine. I'm okay. And well, you know, am I right? Because if we were to say, actually, I'm feeling not very well. That's not what we wanted to hear. <laughs> we, we must stop. Uh, we could talk for hours. I will just say that I think there is some hope. My son, who is 21, has a friend who has been to, through some difficult medical problems just recently. And when he first reached out, this, this young lad, to my son about a year or so ago and said, look, I've got a medical problem that I just I just haven't told too many people. Um, he's now got through that. There's been surgery and, and, and things which have, which, which have helped him to get through this. He's not out of the woods, but he's, he's better. Um, he sent a text to my son last night uh, and the text basically said mate thanks for being there and just listening when I needed somebody to talk to and I was just blown away that two 21 year old people two 21 year old young men were able to actually do that it gave hope for the fact that there is going to be a better view upon mental health in the future because he you know he did reach out my son was prepared to stand by and listen and, and helped him through or just you know went through it with him, you know, no matter how difficult it all seemed. And they just exchanged a series of sort of little text messages just saying thank you. There's hope yet. Really, there is. And there is, and we can't give up. And that's the, you know, a a great message um, that there's always hope and we need to continue to believe that there is hope and continue to strive to get that support from like-minded people who are going to listen and 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 be and be and hold us accountable on on that journey wherever we are. Mike, let's not, let's end on that. That's a brilliant a brilliant end point. Um, listen, if uh, people watching, recording, uh, listening to the recording and the playback, um, if you want to be available to listen to really interesting conversations and pop in with questions and comments. Uh, with with interesting people like Mike, go to this this uh, this list, which is HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash TCA dot FYI forward slash subscribe. That gets you onto our newsletter list. Uh, we will send you notifications uh, before the uh, 
broadcast so that you can watch and listen and learn together with with really interesting people like Mike. Mike, I want to thank you so much for being here this morning and spending a few minutes with us. Uh, I know thank you're you a been. person and I know you've got a lot of things you've got to get on with, but thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Stuart. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you.